Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. As always, we're brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. We are on the clock today, and so we're going to dispense with some of the, the small talk and the current events and just continue on with our NFL fandom countdown. Before we get going, you doing okay today, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. I know you don't want to chit chat too much this week but i gotta say there's something beautiful about watching a team win a championship for the first time we don't get those very often in sports but you see fandom at its peak you also see players participate in fandom activities such as chugging beers or jumping in the water or mosh pitting in downtown denver and so one of the highlights this week in sports for me was the Denver Nuggets winning their first NBA Finals and getting to see just that pure ecstasy that fans have and that the players shared with the fans. Really the connection between the fans and the players following that game. Yeah, I mean, wh- who was the player? There was one player in particular, right, Doug, that was sort of well, staring around with the, the crowd with the shirt off. Aaron Gordon. Yeah, Aaron Gordon was a man of the people (laughs) wandering around downtown Denver, shirtless, like I said, moshing with some of the fans. But KCP chugging beer with fans, Nikola Jokic kind of joking about wanting to go home, but also throwing Jamal Murray into a pool, <laughs> I guess, at their facilities and seeming to to have quite a good time himself as well. Denver fans, I know they're, they're already talking about, let's run it back. You know, we're going to do this again. I'm telling you, it's never going to be better than this. Like, there's nothing more pure than that first championship. Well, and it's, it's awesome to witness. I'll make a comment on that too. You know, I think one of the things that's happened with sports over the last – you know, in some ways, sports over the last generation has gotten weird. Viewership has dipped, but sponsorship money has gone through the roof. Rights fees have gone through the roof. It's actually kind of a, a strange phenomena. But I think the beauty of Aaron Gordon going out there with, with the fans is it almost harkens back to a previous generation where there was more of a connection between the fans and the players, where you know, the the players all want to be on local radio and they want to be in the community where now I, I think now there's just so much money and there's so much an yeah. emphasis on branding and controlling the branding. You know, no one wants to be John, you know, John Moran that yeah. you just, you can almost imagine the players want to go out and party with the fans and management is saying, no, 
Nothing can come from that. But the reality is some of those videos on Instagram were phenomenal. They looked great. You know, he became a hero to those crowd, to that, to that crowd that night. I mean, it was hard to watch that and not want to be a Denver fan, which of course is very bandwagon, but it's, it is very inviting. It reminds me more of college sports, like having gone to a big sports school after the big game, the players on the team are downtown partying with the fans. Like that is just how it works, period. SEC football schools, that's how it works. And it, there's something special about being connected at that level where it's like they're one of us and seeing Aaron Gordon with that fan. It's like he is one of them. He yeah. just so happens to be a freak athlete, <laughs> a very gifted guy who is a part of the championship. But I think those fans feel like we're part of this, too. And and I think it's affirming to have the player come out and want to spend time with you. And so I, you know, I, I just. I'm such a sucker for that, and it was it was beautiful to watch. And again, it's you don't get that when the Lakers win their 17th or 18th championship, and you don't get that same magic. You're probably not going to get that with anyone that has a, you know, that is looking to be a to become a billionaire, right? And and that's I, yeah, the and that's the the problem. Okay, Doug. So returning back to our countdown. I think we left off with number 22, the Los Angeles Rams. At number 21, we've got, you know, all these brands have teams, brands have interesting stories. So at number 21, we've got the Colts. Now the Colts were a team that moved from, before your time, moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Yeah. And they've got two iconic quarterbacks. One that, you know, was sort of before my time in Johnny Unitas and then Peyton Manning. Now, in some ways, it's kind of amazing when you look at how much success the Colts have had for them to still be ranked number 21. Now, you can sort of make some explanations of, you know, they don't have a lot of history in Indianapolis. I suspect, and I want to get your take on this, it's just because you know, Peyton Manning only won them one Super Bowl. Yeah, I think Peyton winning only one Super Bowl. I mean, if that team felt like a dynasty, Saturday, yeah. Bob Sanders, like they, I mean, they felt like a dynasty and they won one Super Bowl. And so I think that what really halted the Colts' rise was the Andrew Luck era mm-hmm. because and I, when Andrew Luck was drafted, my personal thinking was this is a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation. Not in that he was going to supplant, like Peyton was gone, but in the sense that, you know, Bledsoe might have won one or two championships for New England and it felt like a big deal, but it really just set the stage for what Tom Brady was able to do. And I'm sure if you had been doing your rankings back then, we would have seen the Patriots fandom skyrocket during those Brady years where it's like they they were probably around I don't know they were probably kind of somewhere close to where the Colts are after the blood so we did I would imagine I mean we didn't go back that far but the Patriots definitely are one of the teams that I started doing this you know 10 years ago and the Patriots have risen continually from you know when we first started this they're probably about team six or seven we'll see where they end up this year hint it's pretty high (laughs) yeah yeah I I imagine so and so you know, for luck to come in into a pretty good situation in Indianapolis in terms of 
fandom in terms of this. Uh, Peyton Manning had a lot of fans. You saw a lot of Peyton Manning. Like growing up in Alabama, every other kid was a Peyton Manning fan, you know, and the, and the other half were Tom Brady fans. And so that that team had a natural fan base. And I think that, unfortunately, injuries kind of derailed Luck's career. Still a really good quarterback, but their chance of becoming a New England Patriots that's going to be in the top 10 every year in terms of fandom, I think – really fell apart where, where they weren't able to capitalize on having back-to-back generational quote-unquote quarterbacks. I mean, let me ask you this question. They, you know, Peyton Manning, I mean, clearly when he was active, he was, he was one of those guys, right? If Gatorade was going to gather six people to be in a commercial, you know, he was one of them. He was one of those truly iconic guys. Has I mean, he kind of still is. Yeah. Has, well, and that's where I'm going. Has Peyton Manning almost transcended Indianapolis? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean Peyton Manning, I picture him standing next to Eli. I don't necessarily picture him wearing a, a Colts jersey. For the longest time, I think Peyton was synonymous with the Colts and vice versa. And like, I have a, a few friends who are lifelong Colts fans, and it's because of Peyton Manning. They grew up, they worshipped Peyton, and when he left, it, I mean, it's kind of like me with the Giants. I was like that with Tiki Barber. You know, he left, but it's like, well, this is my team. I've got you've gotten to know the rest of the players and the coach and the franchise and the history. And you're you're part of that team now. And so I think that he was synonymous at one time with Indianapolis and with the Colts. And I think his move to Denver was kind of interesting to me because for Peyton, it feels like that was it also doesn't feel like he's a Denver Bronco. You don't think of Peyton Manning's career and think, wow, what a great Denver Bronco he was. It felt he felt like a mercenary at that point. Didn't feel like there was any real genuine ties to that city even though he did win a super bowl there as well and so he's got just as many super bowls on his little mercenary stint in denver as he did in his very long stint in indianapolis and at the end of the day it's like he kind of became the peyton manning brand much like how brady has become the brady brand he's you don't think of brady with the patriots as much anymore you know it's like it's He's won a Super Bowl elsewhere. He's done so much other stuff off the field. And is going to, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's going to continue to do that. And it's like, I think there will come a time where that feels like his high school team. You know, it just feels like something from the past that was part of his story, but isn't synonymous with his greatness. And I I think that's what happened with the Colts and with Peyton. And so, and again, not being able to capitalize on Andrew Luck falling into their hands and kind of being stuck in quarterback mediocrity ever since with guys like Philip Rivers. <laughs> I mean, uh, old Philip Rivers at that. Um, Probably some missed opportunities, right? That, you know, if, if Peyton wins a couple more Super Bowls, then the Colts probably are much higher on this list. They're, they're, they're closing in on the top 10 rather than closing in on the top 20. Well, and part of it is just horrible timing with their peak years were also Tom Brady and the Patriots peak years. So in history, that probably would have been a dynasty in almost like any other decade. That team's winning at least three Super Bowls. Roethlisberger probably also suffered a little bit from that, right? You know, he still got two, though. He still got yeah. two. But Brady, Brady was a brand maker and a brand killer in some ways. Yep. Okay, Doug, moving on. Number 20, the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, now let me say this. The Vikings are one of these one of these teams where I think it's truly a great team.
team name, especially when you realize the the history of Scandinavians in that area. You think back to those classic NFL films and the the Vikings fans have they they've got ice in their beards watching the Vikings play. Yeah. Really some great elements to it. But when you but when you, you know, sort of run the numbers, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, in terms of like combined social media following across Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the league average is six and a half million. The Vikings come in at 4.7 million. So they end up, they end up a little, a little short. Now, great fan base, but I think with some of these, some of these cities, great fan base, but perhaps not enough of them. And the fandom has not sort of resonated beyond the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Now, I have one more thing for you, and then I'll let you go. Okay. When you think Minnesota Vikings quarterbacks, who do you think of? <sighs> I'm thinking of um, Randall Cunningham. Okay. Fran Tarkington is, you know, the classic Minnesota Viking quarterback before your time, so this wasn't particularly fair. I know, fair. I know. I mean, as but a Georgia you know, guy, I probably should have said that, but. Not only a Georgia guy, I, I learned this fact today. He attended Athens High School. He yeah. is the Georgia guy. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and Fran was a – he had kind of a modern way of playing football. Was, he was ahead of his time in terms of his style on the field, the way he played the game. Yeah, the the, the sort of the running not, – not really a running quarterback, but that elusive athletic quarterback. Kind of like Aaron Rodgers thing. Yeah. You know – escapability and, and those quarterbacks that are just frustrating to play against Joe Burrow. I don't know. That's that same. He had that same quality to his game. Another Sneaky fun fast. Fran Tarkenton was the, was a third round pick into the NFL, but this was 1960 or 1961. So he was the 29th overall pick. So I don't, I don't know how to do it. So we, is he a first round talent? Yeah. And yeah. today's, <laughs> in today's game yes but yeah that's i mean randall cunny i don't know they've they've had a like even the fact that it took me a second to find randall cunningham's name in my brain i it's like the vikings are have almost had the right guys mm-hmm. or, or the it's like they're almost a classic team they're almost a packers or you know one of these oh, yeah. iconic franchises like they're I guess championships is the difference. Yeah, you I don't know, know what it, what has Minnesota done in terms of Super Bowls. It's kind of interesting that you say that that you know that you know comparing them to the Packers because that is their you know if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan you think about the Bears and you think about the Packers and you mostly think about the Packers and you know Green Bay is this you know kind of this Wisconsin I'm gonna say Hick Town but you know it's just sort of the, that kind of interstate rivalry so they got these great rivalries as well and i do think it has been it, it's that it is that lack of championships I, I mean you know it is fun when you and again one of the ways i think to to think about these teams is to always think about this idea like this mount rushmore of their all-time great players and so for the vikings you know you got tarkenton you got chris carter alan page if you go back to my youth they were the purple people eaters so they've always had these great brand elements i'll also, i'll sort of put it out there I think that team moving inside probably knocks them down five or six points on this. I, I don't know exactly how that works, making your fans more comfortable, but somehow yeah. it just changes things. Yeah, and I got one more point for you. I was actually about to say that. It takes away that bearded fan, even though 
I'm probably more likely to go to a game that's not five <laughs> degrees. Uh, so it goes both ways. Like, I understand it's a little bit, it's a more comfortable yeah. arrangement. I guess here's the question. Does it change the culture of yeah. who's sitting in those seats? And does that change the experience? You don't have the Buffalo fans jumping off of tables uh, before going into an indoor stadium that feels like a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> so it does. I think I think you're onto something there. I was also going to say. So I looked up their Super Bowl history. They've appeared in four Super Bowls and lost all four. Okay, that makes so sense. that I think yeah. I think that's it. I think that between those two, you know, it's like ball bounces a different way a couple of those games and the the history of the whole franchise changes the perception of the franchise the fandom of the franchise and and that's sports and so i you know we talk all the time about how championships and affect fandom and generational fandom and i think that's that i mean they had a they had a run in the 70s 1970 1974 1975 1977 fran tarkington yeah lost those super bowls is Fran Tarkenton thought of like Joe Montana? If you know, does yeah. his name come to mind amongst like the top ten quarterbacks of all time? If they win a few of those, I don't know. But I'm just saying that that makes a huge difference. Also, like they've had talent like Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, perhaps the best receiver of all time in his prime years in Minnesota. Right now, Justin Jefferson there. And of course, Kirk Cousins had a really great year this last year. And it's like they're always an almost team. They're always they've got really good players. They put up big numbers. Uh, they have they've had some exciting players to watch. And you gotta you gotta win those you gotta win those rings. But I will say this: after watching Denver, the Denver Nuggets win the Super, I mean, win the NBA Finals, the day that Minnesota wins a championship. I think you see a whole nother level of fandom in that city. I think you see people in the street celebrate because the people who have suffered will feel so vindicated and they will take it to the next level and that will attract more passion. And it's kind of how the rich get richer with I mean, we're talking again about the Patriots with Tom Brady and seeing their, their fandom escalate. And, and I mean, pretty much skyrocket uh, in the, in the 2000s. Yeah. And, you know, embedded in what you're saying, you know, there's, there's probably two things that drive fandom, right? It's, it's winning championships. And in the case of football, it's having these iconic quarterbacks. And you can argue that, you know, the difference between Joe Montana and Fran Tarkington is winning a couple of Super Bowls, right? If, you know, and it's, it's, so it's, it's a fine line, but, you know, if you don't have those two components, Right. If you don't have both of those, then you're going to tend not to be in a, a top five or a top ten brand. Now, along those lines of championships and iconic quarterbacks, the number nineteen team on our list are the Atlanta Falcons. So, who's on your Atlanta Falcon Mount Rushmore of players, Doug? Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. Okay. Now, those two guys just left town recently. The retired numbers for the Atlanta Falcons are Steve Bartkowski, William Andrews, Jeff Van Note, and Tommy Nobis. Well, if we're being technical, 
they have a Hall of Famer in Brett Favre, as did the Vikings <laughs> and the Jets. Um, so I'm talking about uh, who the Falcons' numbers have retired, and and I, I, I yeah. think you know Matt Ryan, well, also Leo Jones, be retired. But they'll be, yeah. You look at the well, also like Michael Vick. Michael yeah. Vick was kind of the iconic Falcon for a short term, my, right? Well, to my generation, but it, the issue was that that was hampered <laughs> the optics of that legacy. Yeah. And I mean, the Falcons were they were kind of cool with Michael Vick, you know, it was like they they were an exciting product to watch and it attracted a lot of people. But the I think they have had a lot of t- I mean, they've had these, you know, the Dirty Bird, the Dirty Bird era, yeah. Coach Glanville, Andre Bad Moon Rising with Lisa Left Eye. I mean, the Falcons have, I, I don't know, s- sort of knocked on the door at times, but never. I don't know. Never sort of moved all the moved all the way up and sort of started to build that that enduring, powerful fandom, perhaps. Yeah. Also, how could I forget? They've had some great tight ends. Tony Gonzalez had a nice stretch there. Algie Crumpler yeah. <laughs> before that. I remember Work Dunn. He's a guy that's done a lot off the field. I mean, it's like you look at their best players of all time, and you got a lot of like kind of second team All NFL types, like Roddy White, really good player. Would he have ever been the number one receiver in the league? I don't think so. Not with Calvin Johnson. And then he kind of had that overlap too with Julio. Well, I mean, Julio might be the only player all time that I, that was like first team. Like he's at some point in his career, he's the best player in, at his position while playing for the Falcons. So kind of an interesting, interesting team. I mean, people... It really stinks that the Falcons' best season in my lifetime, of course, was the year where they, the 28 to 3 year. And that year is like, Falcons fans don't want to even hear about that year. You know, it's like it was the best year in their history. And at the same time, it was a nightmare. And so, 15 to 1, I think, right? Yeah, they were incredible. They were amazing. If you watch that team, they were absolutely dominant. And even, you know, that Super Bowl game, there were moments of that game where you're sitting there watching, like, is this the best team of all time? Like, their defense was absolutely nasty. I mean, everything about that team was incredible. And I think the fact that they lost that game just damaged the franchise so bad. Like, when it happened, it was like, oh, man, I don't know if even regardless of how good they are, I don't know if they can bounce back from this. And they didn't. They they totally went downhill from there. They became like I was, you know, living. I was in school at the time and everybody was Falcons fans. And after that, it was like eh, the Falcons are like like they lose the first game the next season or a game early in season. Everyone's like, here we go again. That's just the Falcons. And at the same time, the college team down the road is rising. I don't think that's great timing for the Atlanta Falcons it's as an organization. The, could you almost say it was the exclamation point on the Atlanta sports curse? Yes. You know, I mean, and, and so Atlanta has historically been a tough sports market and people have always blamed the, the number of transplants, you know, the, the dominance of UGA and SEC football. But I mean, I, I think you could also argue that, you know, the Falcons of field always felt kind of inconsistent, right? I mean, so a great season, but then sort of coming back to to normal, you know, yes. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, but you don't really get a lot out of that. You get one sort of one great almost championship run. So it, it's, it's, it, it's a tough thing. And, you know, in, in the, the city of Atlanta, 
Braves are on a heck of a run now too. So mm-hmm. are the, you know, so Georgia's on an amazing run. If, mm-hmm. uh, we won't go down that, we won't go down the three-peat path with you, with you today, Doug, but mm-hmm. it, it's a tough, it's a tough market for the Falcons, even with a great stadium now clearly in yeah. sort of rebuilding mold mode, but you know. And I, I'll say this about Gen Z, millennials, the, the younger crowd. I know quite a bit of people in Atlanta who really love Atlanta United. They really love going to the bins for Atlanta United games. And I mean, that's a city. It's I think for whatever reason, it's like pro basketball and pro football are the sports that really struggle in a world where, I mean, most cities, it seems like baseball is struggling a lot more than those two. Those two kind of are the dominant professional sports in every other city. And so really a unique situation in Atlanta. The Falcons have, as an organization, have made a lot of choices that their fans aren't fans of (laughs) in terms of little things like what they've done with their uniforms and what they do in the draft every year. And so you combine that with a lack of ultimate success on the field and it's, it's discouraged fandom, I think. And, and, you know, I think it's an organization that's got a lot of potential. Like you said, it's in a great stadium. It's in a football hungry place, but it might be a little bit of fool's gold when you look at what's surrounding it and you look at the, the climate of that fan base. Now, last thing, and then we'll move on. I will note that the Falcons have generally gone up in the rankings since I've been doing this. The, okay. So they have they have had some improvement. You know, there's a Super Bowl run in that. Truly some great all NFL level talent. And, you know, that that Mercedes-Benz Stadium I do think was a pretty significant I mean the oh yeah. All of Atlanta's sports venues have either been remodeled or rebuilt over the last decade. And the city itself has put a lot of emphasis on you know on sports, attracting these events like the Super Bowl, the national championship game, the Final Four that was canceled due to COVID. But you know, the, a lot of a lot of effort. Yeah. Okay, yeah. at number eighteen, and again, all of these things are all of these teams have interesting histories, right? And the fan bases are all, you know, they they, they came from different places. And they've ended up sort of. I mean, look, there are no bad NFL fan bases. I mean, that that needs to be said over and over again. Yeah, right. There's there's an incredible intensity, but at number eighteen, we've got the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, Baltimore Ravens used to be the Cleveland Browns, right? Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore, became the Ravens, and so it's a team that has a relatively short history. I, I think they showed up in the the mid to late nineties, ninety six, ninety seven. This has been a very effective program, though, Doug. Oh yeah. I mean, the Ravens rarely miss the playoffs. I mean, they're they're one of these teams that is in the playoffs seemingly, you know, 60, 70% of the time. They've got some iconic talent, right? You've got, Ray, you've Lewis. got Ray Lewis, Lamar Jackson. But you know, this this rating of 18 puts them in the in the lower half of the league. It, when I look at social media just as a, you know, as a quick as a quick check on this 5.6 million followers so about the same as the falcons with much better performance on the field now we could also say it's a i suppose we could also say it's a complicated market you know baltimore right. and dc kind of blend together and then the last one is you know even we named some of these iconic players like ray lewis and who is the running back ray rice well ray rice who infamously 
Yeah, well, was, Ray Lewis had an infinite. I mean, they had Jamal before that. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's that's true about Ray Lewis. I, yeah. I forgot about that. The 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 Atlanta, not the game, the not the Super Bowl that the Falcons were in, but the you know some incidents in Buckhead around the the Super Bowl hosted in Atlanta that they've had some pretty significant off the field issues, and I mean the you know, they all very different. But Lamar Jackson's latest offseason and the contract negotiation has definitely been a negative. So great on the field results, a little bit checkered in terms of public relations and some scandals. Ravens end up at, you know, at just below the midpoint in the league. Yeah, I would say outside of some of the off the field stuff with Ray Rice and Ray Lewis, that the Ravens are doing what. I think they're kind of setting the blueprint for a new franchise in the sense of how do you gain fandom? And I think it takes time. And so I think that, you know, 19's pro- I don't think there's any way possible they could have a top 10 fan base when they launched in the, you know, in the nineties and there's other teams that have been around for a hundred years. And so I, I think that Baltimore's doing everything right in terms of they, they focus on the product, you know, they focus on winning football games and they've been successful at that. They've had really good coaches, really good, I mean, really good rosters, really good, really great defenses. They've yeah. kind of they they created an identity. Yeah. That defensively, like, like the Bears, kind of yes. like the Bears and, you know, prior years, I guess, in the 80s. And so <laughs> what the Bears, I didn't mean that as a... No, seriously, what the Bears should be, right, is what the Ravens... Well, it's, people still think of the Bears that way, you know, yeah. defense and ground and pound. And, and that's kind of been the Ravens. And for someone my age, like I was born in 96, mm-hmm. to me, it feels like the Ravens have been around forever. Like they're one of the, one of the like semi-premier NFL franchises. Like they've been, they've been contenders for all of time that's how it feels because of how successful they've been they don't feel like this new team they don't feel you know they don't feel like the titans they don't feel like the texans they don't feel they don't feel like any of the other new teams they feel like the ravens have been around and i know you can argue that well they have been around they were the browns before i don't know that there's any browns fans that became lifelong ravens fans from that i don't think there's any correlation there so i mean i view them truly as a new franchise and very successful um is is there a higher rated new franchise of the kind of like from the 90s on well there who are. have we not who have we not said you don't have to say where they're rated yeah. well I, I mean the carolina panthers a okay. little bit of a surprise okay. but we've yet to call that name yeah. okay doug at number 17 the team that became the ravens the cleveland browns okay yeah it's a classic brand in a lot of ways it, it kind of feels like this sort of original nfl kind of you know like in the nhl where they talk about the original six right it, it, it kind of has that that lineage and that history you go back to jim brown but is this you know we we're saying that the the key is championships and iconic quarterbacks is there a team in the NFL that is worse at drafting quarterbacks? And this is so unfair, right? Because this happens over decades. Is there a team that is worse at drafting quarterbacks than the Cleveland Browns? No. It, it's oh, maybe, here's, maybe here's, the here's, Jets. Here's, maybe the Jets. Here's a number two. I'm holding up two fingers, Doug. What's two? What number is two for the Cleveland Browns? Two playoff mean? appearances this century. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Not what you want. Do you remember? I don't know if 
people forget about this, but a couple years back, like, I don't know, Baker Mayfield had a big second or third year in the league where he, he started to turn the corner and Nick Chubb was becoming one of the best running backs in the league. And it seemed like the Browns were, they were loaded in a way. Well, yeah. And it, it felt, and they had one of the better defenses in the league. And it felt like in spite of the jerseys they're wearing, and I was going to say the logo on their helmet, but the lack of a logo of their helmet, the hel- the logo that they wear on their head, in spite of all that, that, wow, this team might actually do something. And I remember watching ESPN, and granted, sometimes there's some hot takes thrown around. This didn't even feel like a hot take at the time. They're talking about Super Bowl favorites, and some people were saying, I think Cleveland's going to do it this year. I think they're yeah. going to break their curse. I think they're, I think this, I think if you look on paper and take out the bias of, the Browns, you know, they, they always blow it. Like, just look at the teams, put them all in white uniforms and, you know, practice jerseys, and this is the better team than any other team in the league. I know a lot of people were saying that that one year, and, man, did the wheels fall off. Baker Mayfield went from this, you know, their first win at quarterback and forever to another bust, another guy, you know, what is he, back up for the Panthers now, or he, he – split reps with Sam Darnold. I mean, he fell fast. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought that there was some crazy off the field stuff that happened, but I actually felt like Baker Mayfield kind of matured over the years from what I've seen. Just his performance dropped off. Maybe he was relying on his immaturity for for that moxie that made him special, but man, they they fell off and it's like they it, it is kind of one of those things where they just feel cursed. It feels like they could have the the Patriots 2000s offense and they wouldn't make it out of the first round of the playoffs yeah they because they're the browns yeah and and again you know this goes back before your time but you look at that cleveland browns you know vinnie's testaverde tim couch baker mayfield who was the sorry who was the texas johnny manzel right i mean it's do remember it it just bernie i mean it's a list of browns quarterbacks all time because there were like I think they had like a 10-year stretch where they had like 20 starting quarterbacks, maybe even more than that. Yeah, but um, I mean, the number of guys that are taken, you know, number one or top five that don't pan out has been astonishing for the for the Cleveland football team. Yeah. All right. So in my lifetime, we'll just, I'll start. So Vinny Testaverde, Tim, you mentioned Tim Couch, and they had Ty Detmer that year. Doug Peterson, Tim Couch. So they had... Almost every year, if you look at their starting quarterbacks, they have at least two starting quarterbacks. Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb, Kelly Holcomb, Tim Couch, Jeff Garcia, Luke McCown, Kelly Holcomb, Trent Dilford, Charlie Fry, Derek Anderson. I remember he was another one that people started to get a little bit excited about. He had like one season where he put up some big numbers and Braylon Edwards at receiver. Brady Quinn, another highly drafted guy. <laughs> and then, but he split reps with Derek Anderson, Ken Dorsey, Bruce. Gridkowski, more Brady Quinn, Derek Anderson, then Colt McCoy, old Jake DeLome, Seneca Wallace, Brandon Whedon, another highly drafted guy, Thad Lewis, Jason Campbell, kind of later in his career, Josh McCown, Johnny Manziel, Cody Kessler, RG3, uh, tried to rejuvenate his career, more Josh McCown, Sean Kaiser, Kevin Hogan, Baker Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor, then a little bit of stability. Like the most stability they ever had was Mayfield. He started some games in 2018, and then he started 2019 and 2020. Well, and, and a couple games in 2021 as well. Uh, and I mean, uh, 
And, and then who did they do? They went on, they got Deshaun Watson. They didn't draft him, but they walked into a massive controversy. Well, they not only that, but they draft. I mean, they traded all their future assets yeah, traded- for a guy who remember the contract set a record right i mean for a guy who hadn't played football in a year a guy who we didn't know if was going to ever play football again um really desperate times in cleveland and you know watson came back last year and i don't know statistically where he ranked i guess we'll get to that later in the offseason but Five games, though, right? I mean, small, five, six games, I think. But he wasn't exactly spectacular in those five games. And yeah, played in two he, in, a, in two years or just about two years, right? Statistically, I don't know if he did any better than Brissett did no. for the Browns. And so, or, or would have kept the them. The story of Cleveland Browns football. <laughs> yeah, put them where they are. And I will, this is another one. The day that Cleveland wins a Super Bowl, it's going to oh. be so awesome. Because as much as like their fans aren't ranked that high here, those dog pound guys, like uh, there are there are some long suffering fans, and nobody celebrates like long media. Suffering. When Cleveland goes on a run, the media will be doing. They'll be in the home of Cleveland Browns fans. They'll be telling <laughs> life stories of these guys. It will be so tailor made. That city will explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm. I, I do kind of root for them in that way. Like yeah. I, I would love to see it. And I think everyone does though. It's weird. Every time they start to like have a little bit of hope, the media gets real excited. You want to know something else that's a weird thing to think about? If they were to go on, become a dynasty and win three or four or f- five Super Bowls, suddenly there's been so much of an exodus out of that town. You would start to see Cleveland Browns bars pop up in just about every city in America, especially in yeah. the Sun Belt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, I mean, honestly, they're ranked pretty high for how bad they've been. Well, and I'll tell you why. So they got 4 million folks in social media and that's similar to the Colts and the Bucks. Okay. And the Buccaneers. So sort of respectable when you think about how poorly Cleveland has performed versus some of these other teams, a hundred percent attendance last year. Okay. So, you know, the, the craziness of this team that sort of fails again and again, but sold every seat last year with decent pricing, you know, probably 10, 15 percent more than they get at somewhere like Jacksonville. So this is just remarkable. I mean, the, so the Browns, the Browns don't do great on these metrics, but they do OK because the fans just the fans show Thank up. You. OK, at number 16. Like I said, the history on these teams is always interesting. So the Buccaneers. Buccaneers got 3.7 million social followers combined combined across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But Tom Brady has 13.9 million fans or followers on Instagram. You mean the, the influencer? Guys? Yeah, the influencer, Tom Brady. <laughs> the Okay, so look, the Buccaneers are right in the middle here. The Buccaneers have a decent history. They've they've won some Super Bowls in different in different eras. Again, the question's going to be: the Tom Brady experiment was fun. Did it really get him anything? My gut feeling is the answer to that is kind of no, Doug. Yeah, I mean, the few people I will say the the few people I've met who were in Tampa at the time, they talk about it like it was <laughs> like they witnessed you know, a deity 
walk before them and and come into the flesh like they they really they really it was special for them i think for the people that witnessed that but it was so short-lived and it felt it felt like a mercenary you know kind of like how i talked about peyton manning with denver it felt like a mercenary situation for tom it would have been different had it been you know, if Mike Alstott and Rondé Barber and some of those longtime Buccaneers had still been on the team, maybe it, it would still feel like this is us, you know, but it felt like this is a guy we're paying for for one season and each, some of his friends come to town to help us try to win something. So it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. But it's like, do you think of... Do you think of like when you think of Gronkowski and Brady? Do you think like man, those are two really great Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like through and through those yeah. Tampa Bay Bucks? When you tell me Gronk, Brady, and Gronkowski, I I think of two things, or th- maybe th- I think God, Tom Brady is talented on social media in an ads, yeah. and I also think Gronkowski is terrible in every spokesperson gig he gets. And I also think that this guy that's trotting his kid around as baby Gronk. Oh no. Made it to Oregon should probably have that. You know, I I was going to say should have greater. Yeah. Should have that child removed from his home because it's like (laughs) already has an NIL deal. The poster child for worst sports parent in America in 2023. And Doug, As someone whose child has played, you know, travel travel sports, that's a heck of an award to win in America in 2023. I I I'm just concerned about baby Gronk if he gets to middle school. He's in the third grade, I believe. If he gets to middle he's probably, school, he's probably eleven. Check the birth certificate, right? One of those. Yeah, new- yeah. Well, we've we've seen that though. We've seen that in what is it, Little League, Little League World League Series? Ball. I remember growing up, that was always an issue yeah. with some of those kids. But <laughs> but baby Gronk, you know, if he gets if he hits his growth spurt and he he caps out at you know five ten, I don't know. Like, does Oregon have to come through on that offer? <laughs> apparently i've seen pictures of him with nick saban and stuff like some of it i'm like is this photoshopped maybe it is who knows but it is it's pretty bizarre um to see yeah, do you think it's that n- almost no one understands social media and so these these programs are like oh this baby gronk kid's big on social media sure get him in here let's take a picture <laughs> i guess i don't i don't i'm still half convinced that it's like ai generated and none of it's real so because i'm like surely i mean i'd be a little embarrassed if georgia was was oh taking that kid around you need to stay as if you're a major college football coach stay as far away from baby gronk as you can there's no (laughs) hey nothing nothing against baby gronk (laughs) it's more of a baby gronk's dad issue kind of lavar ball situation yeah i I don't know but i'm glad you went on that tangent mike (laughs) baby gronk rob gronkowski i think rob rob is so bad that he's good in terms of marketing I think that's kind of his thing. That's got to be the thing. He's so bad that he's good for you. For me, he's just so bad. I wish he would stop embarrassing himself. (laughs) (laughs) And and look, I mean, and and I say that with understanding the concept of him as a spokesperson, right? Because it's it's an archetype that we see a lot. And frankly, from when I see him just speaking, I think he seems I think he seems great. 
So I think that there's some, there's potential, there's like solid clay to work with there. But the people that he's gotten involved in, in terms of putting the ads together, I wish his agent would say no, right? I mean, it, it, <laughs> it's sort of, I'm, I'm not even a negative. I mean, it probably sounds like I'm negative towards Gronkowski. Not at all. I think he's probably got a look and a talent and a history where he should be very effective at some of these things. But the endorsement deals he've done, he's he's been you know set up for. They they just they kind of hurt me. They hurt. They I think hurt me a little I bit. think they're trying to make him the NFL Shack. Like take yeah. Don't say no to anything. Take every bizarre ad you can and just kind of build a reputation for being this big, fun loving, silly guy who doesn't take himself seriously. And that's fine. But let's lower the stupid quotient in terms of what's been added to these ads. Can I say that? Yeah. I'm a, okay. Yeah. Okay. You, I'm a tenured, Mike. Okay. Yeah, okay. So let, let's wrap it up here. You know, as always, complete list at www.fandomanalytics.com. Out.